You are listening to the Critical Mass Radio Show, Orange County's business talk show focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies with your host, Richard Franzi. Hello and welcome to our show. I am your host, Rick Franzi, Tamara Chandler, author of How Performance Management is Killing Performance and What to Do About It is our guest on this segment. Performance Management... Tamara Chandler, author of How Performance Management is Killing Performance and What to Do About It is our guest on this segment of the Critical Mass Radio Show. I am your host, Rick Franzi. Performance Management is in dire need of a revamp with its annual review inspiring fear and dread in employees, management, and HR professionals alike. It's old-fashioned. Top-down approach has never motivated anyone. I've invited talent expert Tamara Chandler to come because she's created a welcomed alternative that effectively takes performance management out of the dark ages. Tamara, welcome to the program. Thank you, Rick. Happy to be here. It's great to have you here. Uh, You know, a great way to stay informed about our guests is to sign up for our weekly newsletter. Go to criticalmassforbusiness.com, criticalmassforbusiness.com. At the bottom of any page, as I said, any page on our website, there's a box, join our mailing list, Type in your email address, hit subscribe, and you'll start receiving our weekly newsletter with information about upcoming guests and special insights from me. Tamara, can you tell us a little bit about your professional background? I sure can. You know, it's, I think if you look at my history, you'll see some common threads as far as problem solver, consultant, passionate for people. I have been in the consulting business forever. I led the Pacific Northwest uh, Arthur Anderson's business consulting practice. I was the head of Solution and People at Hitachi Consulting. Uh, I've done all sorts of consulting in my background um, and in my time, but in the end, it all kind of brought me to this idea of people and really how do we drive inspired performance through inspired people. And, and why did you focus for this book on performance management? <laughs> That's a really good question. Well, when I was um, when I was the head of people at Hitachi Consulting, um, we had built and I had led the process of building a performance management process from the ground up. We just started with a blank sheet of paper and we built it. And there's a lot of cool things we did, but we still really followed a lot of the traditional formula. And when we were finished, I thought, well, you know, there's some nice elements there, but it still was dogged by a lot of the same things that I write about in the book. So then you fast forward, and, and here we, I founded People Firm in 2008, and a few years in, uh, I got a call from the Bill and Melinda Gates Foundation, and uh, the then uh, CHRO over there called up and said, hey, Tamara, we're looking for you to write a white paper for us that would be aimed at our executives. We're getting ready to redesign performance management, and we want to educate them. And oh, by the way, there's this big question that we really want you to help us answer, and that is help us connect performance management to performance. And when James called, that seemed like kind of a fun project, and given my experience at Hitachi, I was intrigued by it. And that question was like, okay, well, we can get at that question. But that one question really set us down this path of trying to understand how can we connect performance management to performance, can we? And what does it tell us about what we've been doing? Why do we have the system of performance management that we have today, <laughs> the the Dark Ages version? Yeah, well, sadly, um, it really came out of the industrial era. You know, if you kind of go back to Henry Ford and trying to drive standardization and quality and consistency, 
a lot of what was happening at that point was around measurement, and then later when we get into the 80s and we had measurement by objectives and those types of things as the big trends, we tend, to, we tend to see this very focused, very consistent, very standard approach to you set goals, we'll measurement, we'll assess your performance, and that will drive your compensation, your rewards, all these types of things. And over time, as practitioners, it just kind of became this formula that, unfortunately, just about everybody has followed. And I always find it so interesting because when I go in to work with a new client or someone who um, is introducing themselves to me, they spend, you know, a good 15 minutes telling me what's unique about their business and and their culture and their people and their history. And then when you start asking questions about performance management, you find they're doing it exactly the same as the grocery store down the street or, you know, the big corporation up the block. So there's just been this weird sort of cookie-cutter approach to it. And I think it's just been safe, you know. People sort of, well, that's what we do, so that's what we do, and we keep it going. And I think finally we've started to step back and say, wait a minute, this isn't working. So one of the things that I'm picking up from our conversation and from your book is that this this methodology that is top-down is part of the problem. Definitely. Um, and it's interesting because you think about we want employees who are – motivated and empowered and self-starters and all these things, yet we build a process with our performance management that's very heavy-handed, that's very top-down, that says, I, as the manager, hold the key to your performance and understanding who you are and what you're good at and what you're not good at, which is sending exactly the opposite message of what we want, right? What you really want is to say to your people, hey, I know you can be great or you are great and you can be greater and I'm here to help you get there, you need to tell me what you need, right? And it just completely turns the conversation around and puts the power back in the hands of our employees. And that's way more inspiring, you know, to own your career and own your path and be able to sort of take the reins. It's also a heavy burden for the manager to be able to carry the burden of that conversation about an employee's performance, right? I mean, you're also... totally. You also have the authority, but you also have all the responsibility of knowing what the hell, sorry, what you're supposed to be saying the employee did well and needs to be improved. Yeah. Well, you know, the funny thing is when you start to look at performance management, pretty much everybody hates it. And not just the people who are receiving performance, but the managers giving them. And the, the systems that we've built, the programs and the processes that we've built have really sort of put everybody in these roles that aren't positive roles for anyone. And managers frequently feel like they're very constrained on what flexibility they they have. You know, what's funny is if you sit down with a group of managers and you say, hey, tell us who the people are, you would just, like, cry tears if they walked out the door. Who's knocking it out of the park? They know this stuff. They can speak to it. But then we start to put all this, you know, bureaucracy and process and checkboxes and things around it, and you sort of lose the authenticness, if you will, in it. And that really takes a lot of, you know... It puts a lot of pressure on managers, and it takes it takes a lot of the fun out of it. it. It also seems to me that, in addition to having all the responsibility, it doesn't it doesn't bring the employee's voice into the conversation in in any uh, peer way. It's it's purely in a not defensive way, but sort of in a responsive way. Right, right. Well, and because oftentimes you're putting all of the power into the hands of a manager to decide a rating or even worse, a ranking or something that sort of carries with it a label. 
and the, while the employee may have a self-review or something in there, most of them don't feel like that has a lot of influence. You'll even find processes where that comes in after the rating's been assessed. You know, there's all sorts of craziness that happens there, but it really isn't bringing the employee's voice to it. And, and the other thing, you know, is employees are all, you know, they're all their own unique snowflakes, right? So what's important to one isn't necessarily important to the other, yet we use, again, this sort of cookie-cutter process for all employees, which is really quite crazy. Well, and, and it seems to me that while it's supposed to be a confidential conversation, it can become not a confidential conversation among the employees especially if you tie your performance management system to your pay plan. Do you recommend people not do that or do that? Well, here's one of the things when I started getting into the book was realizing, like, let's first start by defining what are we trying to accomplish with performance management. And while I think every organization needs to take a unique approach to it, Underneath it, I think we're all trying to accomplish three goals. We're trying to develop our people, you know, give them great careers, help them grow, make them, you know, help, help them operate at their best. We're trying to push the organization. We're trying to drive it in a very positive, successful way. We have strategic goals. You know, we're trying to make sure that we're all rowing the boat the same way and we're, we're pushing towards optimum performance as an organization. And then third, we're trying to reward equitably. So we really are trying to ensure that we're recognizing those people who are contributing, you know, that, that they are feeling rewarded for the work and the extra efforts that they're putting in. So those three goals, I think, are present no matter what your approach is. What I encourage organizations to do is understand the priority in those three goals for your own organization and then how connected are they. So, for example, you may have a situation where the corporate goals and the employee's reward system is very tightly connected. You know, this could be like a profit-sharing program or those types of things where people really understand, hey, if we can drive to that number, I get to participate in that reward in this way. Um, But you may have development programs that are very independent of reward, right? Or sometimes might be the reward themselves. So in the book I talk, for example, about nonprofits where they don't have a lot of cash. That's not why people are there. Why they're there is for the experiences and for connections to the purpose and the mission of the organization. And oftentimes in those organizations, it's much less about your base pay or there's typically rarely any bonus. It's about, did I get the great project? Did I get to go to the field and, uh, you know, assignment in Africa? What, you know, what were those experiences that I had the chance to do? So I think it's really getting clear across those three goals, what they mean for your organization and how you want to bring them together or pull them apart. We're talking with Tamara Chandler. We're talking about the content of her book and the research that she did, How Performance Management is Killing Performance. Before we take a short break here, I wonder, do you have any words of inspiration for other people that are listening to us who would like to write a book or see themselves as an (laughs) author? Any words of wisdom to help them along Uh, their journey? A little bit. Um, When I first started down this path and decided I was going to write the book, I had the lovely experience of sitting down with some other authors. And one of them that I sat down with, he asked me in this very kind way, why? Why do you want to write this book? And getting clear on that and being able to articulate why it was important to me personally, why it was important to my organization, People Firm, was really helpful for me. Then the other thing I would say, which is more tactical, is 
once you go there, you have to come up with your own rhythm. I, you know, I read a lot about people saying you have to write every day, you have to do this or that. I found that didn't work for me. I had to come up with my own rhythm of when I wrote and kind of bigger blocks of time and, and how that worked. So I would definitely encourage people to figure out what is their rhythm and then try to stick to something that works for them. It's a lot of work writing a book, isn't it? <laughs> it is a lot of And editing the book. That's, oh, my goodness. You think you're finished, and then it's more and more and more. <laughs> <laughs> okay, well, uh, my engineer is telling me we need to take a short break. So if you're listening to us on the live stream on OC Talk Radio, seriously, don't go anywhere. We're going to write right back in no time at all with Tamara Chandler. We're going to talk about, I, I saved this part for the next segment. What are the eight fatal flaws in performance management? So, Tamara, when we come back, I'm going to ask you to take us through them, if you would be so kind. <laughs> Richard Franzi is a highly sought-after keynote speaker on topics of interest to CEOs of middle firms across North America. Richard's talks include Killing Cats Leads to Rats, a fascinating look at how unintended consequences of CEOs' decisions impact their firm's performance. Your Gray Matter Matters, which explores how a CEO's mindset can differentiate a middle market firm and define its culture. Richard delivers talks to a variety of audiences, ranging from executive team retreats to keynotes in front of hundreds of CEOs. To learn more about his talks, visit criticalmassforbusiness.com and select the contact page or call 949-887-4104. Tamara, can you take us through the eight fatal flaws of performance management? I absolutely can. So the first fatal flaw ties back to that question that James asked me when he called about writing that white paper, is how do we connect performance management to performance? And so we call it the, the title for the first fatal flaw is a theory without evidence is just, well, a bad theory. And it's interesting that we say performance management is the title because what we found when we dig into it, you really cannot connect performance management to performance. What we know is you can connect engagement when you have higher engagement of your team to performance that's been proven it's causal but what we can't necessarily do is connect performance management to engagement otherwise we could get there the problem is oftentimes when we look at performance management we're finding that that's tending to drive more disengagement than it's driving engagement so it's really hard for us to understand how much positive versus negative impact most of the performance management processes are having so that's number one Number two is nobody opens up to the person who pokes them in the eye. This is, goes back to the conversation we we're having about the manager and the employee. When you boil down um, the whole process to that one quintessential annual review meeting between a manager and employee, it's packing way too much into that uh, conversation. And it, so it becomes much more of a negotiation. It's much more of a loaded conversation than it is any kind of an authentic conversation about, you know, what I'm excited about, my performance, how things are happening, what I did great, where I struggled. It becomes much more of a negotiation because the employee knows what's coming out of that meeting, influences promotion and pay and things that are, you know, important to all of us. Number three is nobody remembers the good work. Um, the sad thing about us as humans is we're just a little biased to the negative. We tend to remember things that happened that made us mad or disappointed us. Um, even in the English language, we have far more negative descriptor words than we have positive descriptor words. 
And if you go into a review with even a top performer and you tell them seven things they did great and one thing they you wish they would do better, they will remember the one thing they wish that you wish they would do better versus the other seven. It's just the way we're programmed, which is also what tends to drive some of that disengagement through the process. Number four is no man or woman is an island. So this is speaking to the idea that within performance management, we're trying to isolate the performance of a particular individual. But that individual is operating in a system that has all sorts of influences that are outside of their control. And what we know is if you pick one, if you pick a person out of one system and drop them into another, they may perform completely differently, and it's because of the nature of the system. So we have to be really careful not to attribute the environment to the performance, and that's very hard for us as humans to decipher. Number five is, uh, you know, our favorite ones, we are not machines. This gets into the idea that we simply as humans cannot fairly or rate people on a standardized way. We think we can, we think we come without bias, but we don't. And anytime we are giving someone a rating or a ranking, in the end, there's a thing called idiosyncratic effect. That rating or ranking has more to do with me and my lens and my perspective and my biases than it does the person who I'm reviewing. In the end, the person I'm reviewing is probably about 20, 25% about them. And then we roll into fatal flaw number six, which is we are not machines redo, which says, you know what? Then we take that number, that rating, that ranking, and we cram it into our talent management processes, and we make promotion decisions and pay decisions and all sorts of decisions based on what's probably likely not the best data. It could be faulty data. Fatal flaw number seven is let me introduce you to the competition. Now play nice. So I don't know of an organization out there that isn't trying to drive collaboration and innovation and stronger working teams, yet many of them still have performance processes that pit employees against each other. So on one hand, we're saying we want you to work nicely together, and on the other hand, we're saying, well, we're going to compare you to your peer, which is really a mixed message for our, our people. And then finally, fatal flaw number eight says we are not Pavlov's dog. And this speaks to, um, Rick, the reward piece that we were talking about earlier. Um, we tend to put a whole lot of emphasis in this process, of, even in those three goals. What often gets overweighted is the reward side. And we're basing that on this idea that rewards are driving that performance, are driving that behavior. That's actually not true. And when we look at, at neuroscience, we look at human behavior, you know, if you tell me, hey, in six months, if you do this, I'm going to give you a 0.4% increase in your pay, I'm not likely to hold on to that for that time frame. <laughs> now, if it's a sales organization or something that says if you hit this number, you get this reward, yes, that drives behavior. But for most of us in the corporate world, uh, in a salary-based world, it just doesn't really drive that behavior. What motivates humans are the intrinsic rewards, the team I work with, the mission of the organization feeling like I'm doing my best work and can really be a master in my field. Those are what drives behavior. We're talking with Tamara Chandler. We're talking about the research she did and the, uh, in and around performance management. Her book is How Performance Management is Killing Performance. <clears throat> do, do you, um, have you, have you looked at what Daniel Pink is doing? You used some phrases in there that made me think that there may be some. Oh, uh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, a whole bunch of the the work here is building off of Daniel Pink's research, David Rock's research. There's there's a whole lot out there. I mean, even going back to Alfie Cohen, who spoke to rewards 
starting back in the 60s. Like, there's lots of research that supports this. And that's really one of the things that was so amazing to me as I started to dig into it is there's a lot of science that shows us there's a better way. We just need to get comfortable with moving away from what we've traditionally done. I recently showed one of Daniel's TED Talk talks about his research, and and he was sort of saying there's a ton of research, and unfortunately, no one in business is paying any attention to the facts. Right. <laughs> you know, stop right. doing yes, things that don't work, quote. and it, it right. would be a there's perfect a thing for what you're talking <laughs> about here as well. Yeah, there's a great quote he has that we use that talks about what 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 science tells us and what organizations do, and often are not the same. <laughs> yes. So, so in the time that we have left, we have a few minutes. What would you recommend a CEO of a middle market company take away from your book and your research? I'm going to ask you how they can buy your book in a minute, but what lessons, right. what would you give them as a kind of a, a overview? Right. Well, a couple of things. I would say, first off, build your courage. Getting back to the, the speaking to the Daniel Pink point, like be willing to walk away from what you've traditionally done and focus on designing a solution that really is customized that is matching to your organization, to your culture, your people, the nature of the work that they do. And that might even mean within the organization there's options and flexibility because you might have varying types of employees within your company. So, you know, I talk highly about customization and trust. This requires you to put a lot more trust into your people's hands and into your manager's hands. But I think if you do that, you'll get a lot more results and a lot happier people. You mean people won't take advantage of the performance management system if you give them input into it? That's right. Wow. And, you know, I mean, the, one of the number one drivers of engagement is people feeling like they have a say in their career. Yes. So, you know, if we if we turn this process around and really give the keys, uh, we could say give the steering wheel to employees, then suddenly they have ownership in it and they can make so much more of a, out of it. And for all my colleagues in HR, right, this changes the game for them because a lot more time building content and information that helps people build great careers and a lot less time policing and overseeing uh, you know a rigorous process for those people that listen to the critical mass radio show they know that uh, I believe the number one competitive advantage a middle market company can have is an engaged workforce and I, I go on a little bit of talk about why I think that's so but your book and the work that you research that you've done, and the advice that you're offering, I think, is a key way to build a culture that enables engagement of their employees. So, so I'm so excited that I've had you on the show today. Can can you let our audience know if they, if they want to find out more about you, your firm, your book, how do they find you online? Yeah, so I am at uh, peoplefirm.com, so you can sign up for our, our uh list there, lots of information on the book and such. You can also just go directly to Amazon or Barnes & Noble um, to get the book. And We also have a uh, conversation group we've started on LinkedIn called the PM Reboot, so people can join that and join the conversation. So lots of ways to, to get to us, and uh, they can always just email info, info at peoplefirm.com and get right to me. I've enjoyed our conversation here on Critical Mass Radio Show today, today Tamara Chandler. I really appreciate the hard work you have put into your book, and thank you for taking this step to help us to get out of the dark ages as it relates to performance management. Thanks for being a friend of the program and a part of the Critical Mass community. Thank you, Rick. It's great.
All right. I, I'd like to thank our engineer for today. His name is Paul Roberts. Yes. Our producers are Joan Park, Crystal Nunley, Haley Stern, and I'm your host, Rick Francie. If you'd like to learn more about this radio show podcast and the CEO peer groups that I chair, then my company's website is criticalmass4forbusiness.com. And until the next show, which is next Tuesday, I hope all of your business decisions will move your company in a positive direction. You have been listening to Critical Mass Radio Show Business Talk Show, focused on exploring topics of interest to CEOs who are leading middle market companies. With your host, Richard Franzi. 